This is Healthcare Strategies. This podcast was recorded remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, the quality may be a little lower than our usual standards. We appreciate your patience as we practice social distancing. From all of us at Extelligent Healthcare Media, stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the latest episode of Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Kelsey Waddell, an editor for Healthpayer Intelligence. I'm here today with my colleague, Eric Wickland, senior editor of M Health Intelligence. Eric has been at Excelgent Healthcare Media for almost six years. And prior to joining the Excelgent Healthcare Media team, Eric worked for 20 years in print journalism and another 10 years at Hims Media, where he launched mhealthnews.com. Recently, Eric hosted our virtual telehealth summit So he's here today to talk with us about some of the highlights of that conversation that happened there and what he thinks should be some of the key takeaways for our listeners and why they should go listen to the full conversation if they have the chance. Eric, it's always great to get a chance to chat with you. So thank you for agreeing to come on today. Certainly. Well, so the theme of the summit was setting the stage for virtual care anywhere. So I want to start out by discussing a brief overview of some of the key subjects that were talked about at the summit. Can you share just a high-level view of what elements related to expanding virtual care the summit covered? Certainly. It's an interesting stage that we have set because Telehealth 21 comes at a time uh, where we are one year into the coronavirus pandemic. So a lot of the conversation was on the advancement, the adoption of telehealth during this, this past year. And some of the themes we're going to see going forward as hopefully the public health emergency ends and we start getting back into a more stable pattern for the delivery of telehealth. So what we saw was, of course, during the past year, we we saw an incredible adoption of telehealth. Everybody jumped onto telehealth to try to push uh, as much in-person care as possible into virtual channels to reduce the stress on hospitals and clinics and so on and so forth, and to, to help patients, help people access care without having to go to a healthcare setting. In that, in that sense, uh, our two-day summit included panels on uh, two of the bigger topics uh, of telehealth. One was uh, using telehealth to provide care for seniors. Uh, seniors, obviously, are a very at-risk population, not only during COVID at any time, but uh, and they're looking for more opportunities to access care in their homes. We also had a, a panel on store and forward or asynchronous telehealth, which it's a telehealth platform that's not re- that's not video based. It's you can use a phone, you can use the, your computer, you fill out a questionnaire or answer a series of questions, uh, send your information to a care provider who looks at it at on his or her time and, and, and response. Um, it's a little less uh, strict than synchronous video-based telehealth and it's becoming very popular as health systems look to just create platforms that, that are as easily accessible as possible for people. Um, beyond that, our, our keynotes focused on uh, what the federal government has done to to improve telehealth reimbursement at this time. They've, they've, they've relaxed a lot of the rules to, to allow providers to get reimbursed more for telehealth services, to allow more providers to use telehealth services. Um, they've relaxed the rules. A lot of those rules are going to end with the public health emergency. And there's a, there's a lot of pressure on right now on federal government, on Congress specifically, to create some sort of long-term policy uh, 
uh, that will enable telehealth to continue its momentum beyond the public health emergency, which we as we feel right now is going to go through this year. Um, so it's it's we're going to see we need to see some sort of long term policy that goes beyond uh, beyond what we're doing right now. Um, and lastly, you know, we had a keynote that. Uh, focused on a very specific program. Um, a, very, uh, a very popular topic now is remote patient monitoring, the idea of, of uh, pushing care into the home, monitoring patients in the home. Um, very popular during COVID-19 because of course we wanted, uh, providers wanted to isolate those patients, treat them at home, keep them at home so they could recover there instead of coming into an already overcrowded hospital or putting, or putting more people at risk by exposing more people. That you know, RPM had, had had seen some use before COVID. COVID really brought it out into the forefront. Now, with this under our belts, we're going to see a lot of healthcare uh, systems, a lot of health systems, start using this type of platform for chronic care management, uh, for post discharge rehab, um, anything they could think of, where patients could access care in their homes and providers could collaborate with with patients in their. Uh, we saw a very specific program uh, at Brigham and Women's that's kind of using this concept now, and we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. A lot of different types of RPM programs, some that really aren't even RPM, but they are telehealth. They, comp they comprise elements of mHealth, digital health, telehealth, and in-person. Um, we're going to see a lot of different uh, models of that. So we got kind of got a taste of that. This also serves as a kind of lead into it a two-day remote patient monitoring virtual care conference that we are going to be having in July that will focus specifically on some of these models of care. Wow, that sounds like you all covered quite a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like it was a really good time. So I want to start out with sort of one of the big problems that has been plaguing telehealth expansion, which is reimbursement. And I know Nathaniel Lackman, partner with the Foley and Lardner Law Firm, spoke at the telehealth summit about telehealth reimbursement. And so that tension between payers and providers regarding how to pay providers back for these services and at what rate. So what did Lackman bring to this conversation? And was there anything in particular that stood out to you about how his talk navigated this issue? Yeah, well, Nate's been a rock star for a long time. He's one of the big voices in, in telehealth right now. Um, Reimbursement obviously is one of the bigger issues at telehealth because if healthcare providers aren't being paid for using their services, they're less likely to use them. Um, they're just not going to put the effort into it. So there's been a lot of back and forth as to you know how much the government should pay, how much Medicare should pay, how much state private health plans should pay providers to use these types of services. Uh, Nate's keynote, and Nate's been giving this type of keynote for us for a long time, even back when we were actually having live events, he was there, basically was a, a, as an update of where we stood with reimbursement. Now, as I mentioned before, with, with the public health emergency, uh, CMS relaxed a lot of its reimbursement rules, allowed more providers to be reimbursed, uh, bumped up the reimbursement rates a little bit, uh, a lot of states did the same thing. They they uh, they they uh, lessened the rules, allowed more, uh, allowed providers to be reimbursed more for more different types of service, more types of telehealth services. Um, again, that's all. All of this will end with the public health emergency. So the idea right now is to know what providers can be reimbursed for, where they can make their their money now using telehealth, and also to understand, uh, you know, what. What rules are going to end? Where, what's going to go back when the, the public health emergency ends? And, and to be careful, to, to be prepared for that. So when that happens, you're suddenly not left high and dry. He also gave us kind of an idea of uh, 
of where uh, where this industry might be going. Uh, you know, there's a lot of call for different types of services that should be continued. Uh, uh, Medicare would, has had added oh, hundreds of different services that can be reimbursed through telehealth as they would be for in-person care. And as I mentioned, there's also new providers, physical therapists, uh, telemental health providers. There's a lot of there's a lot of different providers that before were limited into how they could use telehealth, how they could be reimbursed for it. Now I are able to use it. So he kind of set the stage for us in that um, he gave us an idea of where we are, where we stand now, where what providers can bill for, what can what they can collect for. And they also he also gave us an idea of where we're going to see the pressure on Congress. Who is going to be lobbying for a long-term policy, what should go into that long-term policy? Uh, what services should be reimbursed? Um, during this time period, we've seen a lot of uh, telehealth, a lot of healthcare de delivered over the simple landline telephone, audio-only telephone. Um, there are parts of the country where uh, broadband connectivity is not good, or people can't afford a laptop with a video component, or they simply don't want to use video. And the phone, the simple phone, is, is their best way to talk to a doctor. That may be their only way to talk to a doctor. The reins have been lessened so that uh, audio-only telehealth can be covered, is covered in, in some instances, especially for behavioral health care. Um, long term, though, I mean, there's a lot of talk. Is the audio-only phone good enough for treatment, for that provider-patient engagement? Should healthcare be delivered over the audio-only phone? That's one issue that's going to go into long-term policy. Um, there are others too. We can talk about licensure uh, till the cows come home. Um, the idea of, of, of doctors, you know, uh, being licensed in every single state to deliver health care. And then you've got a health system that's using telehealth to reach patients in several states. But each doctor that run, uses that telehealth platform has got to be licensed in each and every state. Lots of conversation right now about how, how to ease the uh, ease the rules so that that could uh, so that uh, telehealth platforms can expand to multi-states and doctors can treat patients in other states. Um, Nate always gives us a really good rundown of, of, of where we stand right now. Yeah, again, a lot of different components there to discuss. And I guess I was curious about what are you seeing in terms of progress in reimbursement? We are seeing progress. Uh, I think it's for a long time, and a lot of this, you know, it, it seems like CMS dictates uh, the telehealth advancement because they're the biggest payer. Um, a lot of providers, a lot of health plans will follow what Medicare does. Not all of them. I mean, some of them are starting to, uh, to reimburse telehealth at, at a rate differently than what we were seeing through Medicare. Um, the trends now um, are, are acceptance of, of telehealth as, as an allowable platform to deliver care. CMS, the government, they still want to see more studies that prove that telehealth is actually saving money and, and moving the needle on clinical outcomes. Um, they want more proof. And, uh, you know, as, as we have more of these programs up and running and, and we start seeing results, we're going to get that proof. But we're starting to see the idea that telehealth can be used for for, for, for delivering care uh, in different locations. It can be used for different types of providers. We're in a pandemic right now for, for behavioral health concerns and substance abuse, <coughs> excuse me. And the idea that we use these, these channels, these, these telehealth platforms to, to reach out to patients and give them the treatment they need rather than getting them, forcing them to come into a clinic or to a hospital or, or whatever. Um, that's one of the bigger trends right now for telehealth is, is is being able to push services out to, uh, to people rather than getting uh, having them to come to the service. 
So we're starting to see new, new programs, new ideas where you can mold together in-person care. You can take a telehealth tablet. You can take wearables. You can take the smartphone. You can combine them all into a, into a type of a treatment that, that pushes the right care to the right person in the right location at the right time as well. So RPM, mobile integrated health, better reimbursement. And then I mentioned before the idea of an easier way of licensing or permitting care providers to, to treat patients in other states. Um, these are all going to be pop, uh, topics going forth. And of course, the spotlight's going to be on Congress to do something about it, to sift through the dozens of, of bills that they've got in front of them right now and, and try to figure out some sort of long-term policy. Prioritization in Congress is going to probably be very key to shaping how this moves forward. Is there anything that experts are telling you, um, by and large, like, this is what we really need to focus on? Yeah. Well, you know, we had a lot of these bills last year in the midst of the, the pandemic, and quite honestly, almost nothing made it through Congress last year. They, they have, of course, had a lot on their plate. Um, there were small elements of telehealth uh, kind of fitted in in patchwork style into some of the relief bills that, that came through. There were a few things here and there, but by and large, a lot of the telehealth bills did not make it. Um, the physician, CMS physician uh, fee schedule for 2021 did a lot. So objectively speaking, it did telehealth good. It, uh, it gave us some new coverage, um, both for telehealth and remote patient monitoring, which is separated. Um, but uh, a lot of people were disappointed uh, that it didn't go as far as it could. Um, now, with that in mind, we've got a new administration that started at the beginning of the year. A lot of the bills that, that, were, that didn't come through last year that look good are being resubmitted again. So they're seeing a lot of the same things again, plus a whole bunch of new ones, too. Um, the, it's the, the understanding, I think, is that Congress uh, now has, is under a lot of pressure to, to, to understand and to, to validate telehealth. Whether this comes in the next relief package or whether they can actually take a bunch of these bills, glom them all together into one bill, one telehealth bill and pass it. A lot of people would love to see that. Whether, whether Congress can actually get, get its act together and do that remains to be seen. Um, but as you said, you know, there's a lot of lobbying out there. The American Telemedicine Association, a number of different groups, there's a whole bunch of new groups that have jumped up, uh, jumped into the fray as well. Um, they want to see long-term policy. They want to see better coverage for telehealth services in the future. They want to see some sort of license portability, uh, as, as, as I keep mentioning, so that providers can treat patients in other states. They want to see the lines drawn clearly as to, you know, can you use an audio-only phone to deliver telehealth? Can you, uh, you know, is, is store and forward uh, asynchronous the same as synchronous? It will be covered the same. Will there be incentives for providers to use uh, virtual care platforms? Um, and more important, I think you mentioned this before, the idea of payment parity. Um, one of the more uh, controversial topics right now, the idea is that should you pay a virtual service at the same rate as an in-person service? Um, supporters say yes. They say you need to do that right now, especially to compel providers who are on the fence about telehealth, to get them to use telehealth more and to, and to start recognizing and realizing the benefits of telehealth in improving access to care. And for that, they've got to be paid. They've got to be incentivized to you. Supporters want them to be paid at the same rate as if they'd use in-person care so that so they, they don't get to choose between one or the other. Uh, the, the rates are going to be the same. 
Um, also, if it weren't in place, uh, there have been times where, where payers will not, they, they won't really support telehealth. Again, they want to see proof. And if they don't see proof, they're going to reimburse at a rate much lower than in-person care. Um, the opposition to payment parity is that payers should be able to set their own rates. For, for, they should be able to negotiate with providers to, to set rates for reimbursement. And, and the, it, there's a valid argument to that. I mean, the, the idea is that telehealth is going to improve healthcare. It's going to be uh, more convenient and, it may, and often uh, reduce costs associated with care delivery. If that's the case, why shouldn't it be reimbursed at a different rate, at a lower rate than in-person care? We're going to see a lot of that. Some states have, 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 are moving toward payment parity, especially with behavioral health services. They really want to get the ball rolling on that. Other states are kind of backing away. Um, they, they don't want to. They don't want to either handcuff payers or or force them into a corner. Uh, pay, the payer community, for the most part, would would rather handle their own reimbursements rather than being forced to to do it. Um, Will it go to the federal level? I don't know. Right now, the states are kind of setting the uh, setting the tone for that. Some, and and it, I, and there are some bills in Congress that may move us toward parity. Um, and lastly, the idea of the parity now, um, a lot of supporters say, yeah, what you need now is parity so that you can get the ball rolling. Eventually, you can start reducing those rates to to kind of uh, to more closely approximate what. The value of a telehealth visit, but that—that's where we're going to go, and that's—that's that's kind of what I'm going to see this year. Is—is is the idea that sent, uh, that Congress has got to figure figure these things out and to come forward, hopefully with some sort of big package bill that that, that sets the policy for for telehealth coverage going forward. Yeah, fingers crossed. We'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, we were talking about this earlier, just how much is like happening in this space. And um, there were a couple of key examples of just how much virtual care in particular is expanding um, during this time, largely motivated, I think, by the pandemic. And uh, one of the examples that came out in the summit was Dr. David Levine, an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School and a medical director at Brigham and Women's Hospital talked about uh, using telehealth to bring the hospital care and acute care into the home, which we know home-based healthcare can have significant patient outcome benefits, significant cost benefits. Um, and so I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of a summary about some of the key takeaways from Dr. Levine's discussion of that program that Brigham and Women launched in 2016. And then we can just talk a little bit about your own experience with patterns that you're seeing in that as well. But just to start off, what were you hearing from Dr. Levine? Certainly. Um, the Brigham and Women's Hospital at Home program is, is, is kind of a unique uh, program. Um, they, they, yes, they had launched it a while ago. The idea of, of, of taking some acute care patients who would normally be in the hospital, receiving care in the hospital, and moving them to the home setting and uh, treating them through a combination of remote patient monitoring, telehealth, and in-person care. CMS this past year turned it into a test program, uh, the Acute Hospital Care at Home program, I believe it's called. It's a, it's a new payment structure, and, and Medicare is paying for some of these services. And uh, yes, Brigham and Women's was one of the first to get it going, but a lot of hospitals and health systems are jumping into this program right now. Um, it is not solely RPM. Um, it, it's it's kind of an example of the way this field is 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 kind of branching out and coming out with some hybrid models and 
hybrid healthcare, you're going to see a lot of that in the future. Um, the hospital and home program, as I said, is a combination uh, of they're using some telehealth, they're using some M health tools, uh, smart objects in the home. They're also uh, using home uh, home healthcare as a part of that as well. Um, it, it's kind of a combination of all to provide the best care possible in the home setting. Um, David was a, he's one of the forerunners in this. And as I said, as you said, you know, he's been around for a couple, this program has been around for a few years. So they're seeing results. He's published results of studies that have shown the value of, of treating these patients at home in terms of reduced hospital costs. I mean, it's much more expensive to provide care in a hospital. Um, so the cost curve is down. Uh, patients actually tend to recover more quickly and better at home than they do in a hospital room. Um, so there are the benefits there of, of improved clinical outcomes. And also the idea of the provider, the doctor, being able to look in on the patient in, in the home and gain an idea of what uh, the patient's daily routines and activities, uh, that in turn affects care management and care coordination. A care provider can look at that routine, notice things that, he, that might not be noticed otherwise, and, and kind of adjust care patterns to move the needle forward on certain, certain measurables. Um, this program's showing good results, and that, that's what David was talking about. Um, the evolution of, of, of these types of programs, and, it, and it, I'm going to make that pitch again. We're going to talk about this a lot more in the RPM conference in July. Um, the, other, the evolution of these types of programs is there are going to be more of them. Uh, there's going to be different types. There are going to be RPM uh, programs that are specifically monitoring a patient at home through uh, ML devices or a telehealth channel. There are going to be programs that combine for, for sicker patients, acute care patients, people with multiple chronic conditions. Um, they're going to be, they're going to have a combination of, of, of some of these RPM programs and home health visits. Um, and then there's, there's programs like uh, there's this one out of Massachusetts, and there are others like this. They're uh, combining RPM with mobile integrated health. They've tr specially trained paramedics to go to the home to provide some of the care services to patients there rather than, again, load them up in the ambulance and bringing them to the emergency room. Uh, the idea in all of this is that if, if we treat them at home and we have the devices there to, that can monitor them, we can catch, I mean, the healthcare industry, hospitals and health systems can spot trends, can identify health concerns before they get to the point where the ambulance is needed, where the patient has to go to the hospital, where the patient who's come home after surgery has to go back in because something went wrong. If you can catch that before that happens, treat them at home, they're going to get better. They're going to get better quicker. And the hospital is not going to get hit with a, a readmission penalty or, or charges for treating patients that should not have had to have come back into the hospital. Um, and we just really scraped the surface of, of what's going on right now in, in, in what we could call the connected care universe, the connected health universe. Um, there's a lot more that we can talk about, and there's a lot more that we will talk about. What we see going forward is just an idea that the that healthcare is no longer confined to the hospital, the clinic, the doctor's office. It's no longer just there. And in fact, these locations are changing. They're going to evolve as well because they're the idea is that they're going to be specifically designed for that part of healthcare that has to be in person. A lot of the services they're doing now that don't have to be follow-up care and, and so on and so forth. Health and wellness um, that can be done virtually is going to be pushed out and, 
and pushed out to patients wherever they are and through channels that they can use comfortably. Well, yeah. So again, like you said, the reality is that we can only scratch the surface. So if people are interested in learning more about any of these topics or anything related to mHealth, where should they go? Well, first and foremost, mHealthIntelligence.com. I mean, I'm doing stories every day on this. Obviously, Extelligent Healthcare Media with several sites, uh, we're covering different aspects of healthcare. And we are also having a lot more virtual uh, events. We've got a virtual event every month. Uh, we've got privacy and security, patient engagement, revenue cycle management. Uh, we're going to be doing health and wellness. We're going to be doing uh, payers. We're going to be doing all of this. And I, I'm, you know, RPM in July, that's that's my next one. And then there's a connected health event. Yeah, there's going to be a lot going on in the next two months, especially with our events. Thank you so much, Eric, again, for your time and for this conversation. Well, thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. And for our listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Feel free to reach out to us at podcasts at extelligentmedia.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. You can also use that email to let us know if there are any healthcare industry related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering. And if you liked this episode and it sparked some thoughts for you, please head over to Apple and give us a few stars and a positive review. Thank you for listening. This has been an Extelligent Healthcare Media production. 